Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a podcast platform to share interesting conversations from the most successful leaders within the Stockholm tech community. My name is Sophie Gould and I'm your host for today. Welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, me and my amazing panel will be discussing a very interesting topic, which is how to build products for the future. Now, I'm joined by three people who have brought some really interesting ideas to this topic, and I already can't wait to dig even deeper into them. But before we do that, um, let's start with some introductions from the panel today. So I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and also what you are passionate about. And May, we'll start with you. So I'm May Formosa. I am actually working at Clearo today. So I've been working in fintech for the past five years. Um, specifically, I'm head of merchant experience and integration here. So I work with product, with the B2B segment, and also with the integration of that product. And basically, my career has been within product. So before fintech, I've worked in on- online gambling. And yeah, that's what I'm passionate about. I would say product development, processes around it, the human aspect of how people can take a product or, or any feature or anything you deliver to them to use and how that use can can really change over time. And, and, and I think it's a wonderful, interesting interaction between humans and product in that sense, also across time. Nice. I think um, definitely some, some good experience, I imagine, to bring to this topic as well. And Anya, we'll come to you for your introduction. Yeah, so uh, I'm Anya and I work at uh, Polestar, which is an EV brand here in uh, Gothenburg. And my role is um, innovation lead uh, within the connected experience in R&D. My passion is, uh, I mean, my background is uh, from the research. uh, So I was doing a lot of research within interaction design and, uh, um, yeah, prototyping, I would say. Uh, and I think that is what I am passionate about, to understand the human in relation to tech, but also in, in kind of breaking new grounds, uh, finding new learnings. I think that's, uh, I love when you kind of do something and you get one of these kind of epiphanies. It is like, oh, this is a new new thought. <laughs> that's uh, that's what I love. Nice. I like, it. like a light bulb moment. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, amazing. And finally, Matthias, we'll come over to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm Matthias Borsberg. Um, I'm working in right now as CIO at Future Pension, but just left the CTO role at Clearo. So we're good seeing you again, again May. Uh, we've been working together for, for a couple of years. Uh, and uh, my background is is within uh, the technology area, technology scene of Stockholm. I worked since the uh, late 90s. Uh, and um, been working in lots of different roles like developer or pro- uh, project manager and development manager and lots of other things. But um, my passion is really uh, shared with you guys as well in the room. I think, you know, the the aspect of how to um, build things that people love, I think that's the real thing. And that's the the where we can make uh, machines come to use in, in the best of ways. That's the interaction point with, with humans. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I think when I look back at my career and think about, you know, what were the best moments of my career? 
those moments where you know the times when you build something or you were part of building something and the people who started using this said this is the best thing since sliced bread i think those th those are the highlights of my career i'm a fact oh i love that i think that's amazing and it's it's nice obviously that we've um we've got a panel here that's definitely got quite a few similarities within passions and I think it's going to make a really good conversation. So I think let's just go and dive straight into the, the subtopics and the questions that we've prepared for each other. Um, now that we kind of got a bit of a context and we and we know who everyone is. So Matthias, we'll start with you. Now, tell us a little bit more. Your topic was a bit more detailed into how do you optimally organise to create surprisingly good user experience? Um, but yeah, tell us more about that. Yeah, so I'm my my thinking goes in terms of this, you know, basically, I mean, we're trying to build products for the future and the future is, as we know, constantly changing, of course, and it has been changing the last 20 years, uh, quite, quite a lot. Um, and uh, what, what, you know, the, the products for the future are the products that are, you know, a bit difficult to foresee what they are uh, at the point of the of, of design when we're trying to build them. Um, I think for me, the the aspect of asking the question, you know, optimi optimally organizing to create surprisingly good experiences. I think the key word here is surprisingly, because, you know, um, when I started in my career, you know, we were talking about how to how do you how do you write the best requirement specifications so that we build the right systems so that the system, you know, becomes useful for the users at the end of the stage. And then we had these long running waterfall projects that, you know, never got the product right anyway, because we need the experimentation along the way. And in order to get that right, we need the right people in the team. So, um, we're all also familiar with, I think, Conway's law. Uh, the, you know, the 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 law say, or the the theory saying that you know an organization can only design products that are a mirror of the communication structures in the organization. Now, this means, of course, that you know the the resulting end product will will be uh, a, a mirror of you know how we actually organize uh, in order to build it. And I think that's that's a really, really interesting perspective. So my question to you guys is, is really, you know, the perspective we've all been through a lot of different different ways of doing this and ways of organizing people to build product. Uh, but what are your experiences, you know, in terms of this that, you know, what are the, the, the good, the good ones and what are the really ugly ones, the ones that didn't work, perhaps? Uh, I think there is there is ample learning in in both of those um, uh, those dimensions. So uh, uh, I think you know, starting there, Anya Gabriela, do you, uh, may sorry, uh, do you have uh, do you, what are your experiences in, the, in this area? I can start. I think uh, I, I I think this is the super interesting. I mean, looking at Polestar, we've gone from when I started four years ago, we were. 80 people and now we're touching upon uh, 2000 people and going from no products and I mean when I say products I mean both uh, physical and digital uh, uh, I mean we had a website <laughs> but apart from that it was like uh, not, and no customers either and 
what we that allowed us to be quite free and to to explore and prototype because we didn't have a, an end like a, a receiver uh, and and uh, of course we had a really tight deadline because we were going to get customers pretty soon um but to to um, because i can i can totally see what you're saying there matthias with the the kind of um, uh, how we were allowed to to be playful and and to organize ourselves playful in in some departments i understand that uh, some departments had uh, very strict <laughs> deliverables uh, uh, and 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 on the other hand uh, now when we have a lot of uh, customers and a lot of cars out in the streets and uh, uh, the reality is here and of course that means we need to to kind of straighten up and and have a more um, uh, stable uh, delivery of, of different services uh, and I think it, it, it has been a quite an interesting journey, but it also means that the, the type of attitude, mindset or way of working also has changed a little bit. And the people who kind of enjoyed that early phase might not enjoy this later phase uh, as much. Um, and and it's it's super interesting to see. There's this uh, Kotter uh, 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 talk when he talks about the, the kind of move from explore to exploit yeah. mm. moving from this more chaotic or entrepreneurial uh, way of uh, working to a more hierarchical and uh, uh, structured organization and and if you lose completely the entrepreneurship then it becomes that kind of uh, it, it becomes too structured so really looking at um, how can that be a, a combination of the two? Uh, uh, because we, you need the structure as well as the chaos, uh, I think. <laughs> Long talk. Like, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's like uh, it, it shifts. The needs shift depending on what kind of phase we're in, right? Uh, it becomes like uh, um, we talk about the pendulum shifts swinging, you know, from one, one end to, to the other. And perhaps that's a... That's something that is very helpful for us to to recognize when designing an organization as well, because and it's probably very natural. I think to to add on to that as well is the the role that culture plays in this, right? Because I think one key thing you said, Matthias, is that we can't foresee what those surprising connections that actually will lead to those surprising experiences that we can deliver through our products will be. So I think the, the while you have structure, you always need to allow for that sort of informal, unstructured connection between people and, and departments. And I think a lot of that also starts with def the definition of what we do, almost our identity at work. And I can I can I think use an, a, an example here of let's say an accountant in a finance department. That's normally how we you know, think of the, this is a person whose job is to maybe you know, issue invoices in that sense. And they report to someone who is in head of accounting, perhaps in a, in a you know, finance organization, chief financial officer, perhaps at, at the sort of top of that pyramid in that sense, in that structure that we have. But I think if we, and in the cultural sense, sort of counteract a bit of that structure, in a way, try to deconstruct a bit of that structure by thinking of, 
okay, so your job is to issue invoices, but you're issuing those invoices to, let's say like in B2B where I work, right? This is to normally a consumer or a, a customer of your products in, in that sense. So in that sense, you are also not only issuing an invoice, but you're actually part of generating a customer experience. Um, therefore, you are not only sort of part of the finance and accounting family, you're part of also the experience generation sort of group within the organization as well. Mm -hmm. um, and if you think about that, you are also probably within a software development organization. So in order to maybe deliver that customer experience that you want to, to deliver and in thinking of your job as delivering an experience, you can have even demands on the organization and the tech, the product departments that you have to improve the way and the tools you're working with to deliver those surprising experiences, those connections, those pains that you can see being at that interactive point that, you know, sending the invoice via email does not do the job anymore because actually your customers are just like you, accountants on the other end using their system. So you know that actually if I receive it directly, for example, in my you know, ERP system, that would give me a surprising experience. But you to not miss those insight points that are spread normally within an organization, especially as we grow the organizations, right? We need to really almost counter the structure without breaking it to actually be able to gain insight and for people to think of themselves in terms of identity, not only as belonging to the structure, but belonging to different groups within the organization and maybe have ways of creating spaces. I like the concept of, of Lefebvre in, in terms of creating spaces here. And, and as an organization, we have a duty almost to create those spaces to counteract almost the structure that we have to put in place to operate. I, I think my from my own perspective, I think, you know, the, the idea of how to capture the uh, the hidden or underlying um, problems that our our users or our, our customers uh, at the other end uh, see or have or experience when using the product is usually not something that we can easily find out or see or guess based on on uh, what we know in, our, in the part of organization we work, uh, but need to talk to them, discuss with them in order to find out. And I think that comes... I think one of the most best experiences I have from from doing that is when combining building teams where I combine I've been combining um, uh, user experience skills together with the developer skills in order to to first start with finding out you know what are the actual problems that we need to solve for this for this customer group and then uh, working systematically to find out if the features the new solutions that we're we're delivering are actually doing the job uh, and what new new things or new issues are popping up because of the ones we we did resolve but i think this has been many times difficult to be able to uh, integrate user experience or uh, ad copies etc into um, the tech teams uh, because usually we, uh, most companies have, have difficulties in, in, you know, finding the right balance on, you know, uh, do we have enough work in the teams for uh, UX skilled staff or do we have, can we find uh, the right mix of people so that we actually can achieve this, even though many, we, I think in many places uh, we can find the, you know, the advantage that can be gained by, uh, by mixing 
uh, tech skills with user experience skills. This is so often the, the challenge. I think, uh, I mean, if we look at the breaking norms and uh, you you want to have a diverse team, but a, a diverse team is, is also, uh, it creates friction. Yeah. And it, it means that, uh, which means that, of course, it, it will be a greater knowledge space that we're working in. But it's also, um, it, it is a challenge, I would say, uh, because it's so important to to kind of get the team to work well together. Like, how do you handpick people so that so that you can get it the way that you want it for a high performing team? But at the same time, when you do that, you're using your bias to. So, I mean, this is not saying that you are doing that, but but um, this. These are just thoughts that came to me. It's like you want your high performing team and I want to I know exactly what kind of team members I want so that we can move super quickly. At the same time, I want to introduce people who are not thinking like me, uh, people who come from different cultures or different uh, uh, yeah, age groups or, or whatever. And and uh, and I think that. This is one of the greater challenges uh, to to kind of get the 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 because you were talking about optimal uh, team as well, mm. and I mean I know you I know you you didn't mean to kind of <laughs> kind of efficiency optimal, yeah, but but that is often what what you think because you are working on tight deadlines and tight budgets and uh, and you have to deliver. Uh, and um, yeah, I think I think it's just such an interesting. Uh, once again, what like where where are we in the in the kind of uh, pendulum in terms of uh, uh, tempo of delivery in terms of or in in relation to tempo of uh, innovation or uh, surprising experience. It's, uh, and also, just another thing I'd like to add, I, I'm thinking, you know, we need to study uh, and understand our customers. But for me, I learned the most for being a customer and to talk to other people who are customers when I meet them in the street. So to, to all to kind of love your product and mm. to to live it and and to uh, get the same. Uh, uh, wonderful and awful experiences that your customers have yourself like a service safari but but yeah. living it <laughs> those are the those are the experiences that feel you know in your gut really <laughs> and I think one also important thing is that often not only should we like do it ourselves, but often we want to you want to actually bring that pain and suffering that you are causing maybe with your product or with, like you said, Matthias, solving one problem, creating another oftentimes. And how do you bring that to the team directly so they can also see uh, and have this human connection to whatever they are, especially in, a, you know, the developers often we talk about, right? And you have a maybe someone who's doing your, your user research or a team, perhaps even as, as the organization grows as well, doing the user research and them not becoming alienated in their, you know, end of the organization, but bringing that experience that um, a good way. I think uh, Spotify had done it a, a while, a few years back when I when I had 
another use case kind of looking at this was kind of recording customers their interactions using the actual product and them commenting and being interviewed and actually recording those sessions and then presenting them to the developers so you get this really human response to the to the product as well uh, because often then you really leverage, like you said, the diversity in your team, Anja, that because what you can hear is kind of, you don't want to filter it to the team as a, you know, maybe the product organization or the user or research and user design and, and, and experience team in that sense. You really want to leverage everyone's interpretation and perspective of that issue or or friction that maybe you're you're causing or or any an insight even it can be just positive thing an insight of an of an incremental added value we can bring uh, just an aha moment that you kind of want to create again a, a forum or, or or a space for it, it, I, I must uh, it, it was 12 years ago I think or 13 years ago uh, we recorded one of those sessions in a user study and it was this 15 year old girl and she was clicking through this web page and she ended up in a form and she was like she was chewing her gum and she's like seriously you want me to fill in all of this and we played this to the management team of the product and they were like okay we get it <laughs> and we have to do trade-offs uh, to not collecting all the information instead just like okay get to the next step and uh, it was it, it, it was such a like you were saying like a, a tangible experience and and uh, uh, an understanding into the core it's uh, it's so cool to have these uh, that's, that's my passion <laughs> about impactful data as well right finding a way for this data to tell you a story in that you know really yeah. impactful way to the stakeholders you need to kind of get on your side to make the change investment that you need yeah yeah and user i mean empathizing with 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 the customers and being there and seeing their reactions and i i think you know, the, the, at, at times, I think the, one of the most successful things I've, I've seen when is, you know, these filmed user uh, interviews that we, you know, we do with prototypes and seeing the reactions of people, how they how they act on 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 different react on different things and different new features. I think think those are the yeah, especially the, the ugly ones. And I think one of the things I, I saw in a, in, in a previous project was, you know, where they actually uh, filmed the timings of how much time did you know the old way do take, and then put that in parallel with the new way, and could you know really show how much easier uh, the new the new feature or the new set of of, uh, of forms to fit in or whatever it might might have been was for the user, and that was a really nice way of visualizing the data in a way that made you understand that yeah this is this has really made things better for for the ones using the product. Um, but I think that this is, it's an interesting topic. This is, and I, you know, especially with the, with the you know, perspective of, of this, this podcast being, you know, products of the future. And I mean, um, I'm really thinking of, of, you know, your question, Anya, on this topic feels really relevant in this, in this sense, because I mean, and your products are, I mean, we see them on the roads, they're really cool. So just. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I was just watching this, this series the other day and I saw a Polestar driving. Uh, it was the wrong color, of course, but uh, it was super cool. I'm like, oh, it's so cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, and I think my question, I don't know, Sophie, if you wanted to introduce it, but it, it, it's, it's really talking about IoT and like uh, the, inter so 
I'm working with a connected experience. So obviously you have the product and you are driving from A to B, but then you also have this this product that is is connected. And which then, of course, um, so to my question, um, uh, like um, when we talk about products or services, uh, a lot of us are talking about it from a kind of digital perspective. So you have... Uh, a digital product uh, for their, them it, it's it's of course uh, it's part of the uh, you have to develop it you have to talk and think about data you have to it it's already digitized mm-hmm. it's already there but when you talk about uh, products or industrial design I, I separate them to look at kind of in, interaction design or industrial design and seeing service design as a kind of subgroup to interaction design uh, they are, I mean, a, a product, you can say, here's a product, I've designed it, uh, here you go. <laughs> Whereas a service, you say, okay, uh, uh, I've designed mechanics to make a pro- uh, this, this service emerge in use. So that is the uh, a big difference, which means, and, and uh this means that one thing with service design is that you need to work a lot with data or collect uh, um, qualitative and quantitative uh, understandings and insights. Whereas with uh, industrial design or product design, of course you do uh, collect uh, understandings and insights, but you don't have to. You can say, you can believe that you are a great uh, designer and say, this is a, a great product. And because it's tangible, people can have opinions. But if you have a strong name, then it could still be a product. But when we move into a kind of future with IoT and having things connected, then, of course, you can't separate between the service design and the product design. They kind of merge. And this has already happened through through having, of course, uh, a product design uh, or industrial design to kind of clearly separate what I'm I'm talking about goods here uh, with the kind of interaction within the car with screens and so on, but but to have the kind of added value that goes outside of the product. It's not a phone anymore. It is a kind of lifestyle. <laughs> you you bring you have all your. Uh, uh, invoicing apps or bank apps or games and it's it's part of your uh, body uh, and how does that impact to, to come to my question then how does that impact the the role of uh, an industrial designer as opposed to a service designer where do they uh, meet are they the same person um or are they separate people working as kind of creative teams? Uh, and and uh, how, how do we make sure that the kind of industrial design becomes more digital and service design becomes more confident in saying, here is a design, I believe in it. Uh, yes, uh, I think May, you might have uh, many thoughts on this. <laughs> So when when one first thought I have when I when I hear you talking about this you know industrial design service design and so on I think of uh, you know the Oral-B electric toothbrush 
because that is a, a clearly, you know, it's a toothbrush, right? It does, it does, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a physical item product that does a physical, you know, um, function, which we all have been doing for years and decades uh, at, at the very least. And that we're very familiar with, but I think they've they've taken it to such a, a new level and a very imaginative way of actually bridging this idea of this this um, service design as well. In that, you know, the toothbrush does not only come with you know the spare heads that you want to change with, but it comes with a Bluetooth and the charger maybe for the for the toothbrush, which you know, but those make sense, right? Together, uh, there's the product and parts that you need for it to function and keep functioning and operating. Um, and also generate maybe some interest in, in, in the booklet with what the different uh, heads can do and, and so on, different functions to get you interested and engaged in more with the product and the versatility of it. Fair, that would be kind of a product complete in that sense, right? But the lovely sort of interest, I think, in gathering data around their product, I imagine at least, has led them to this reimagination of uh, let's add an app that goes together with the toothbrush. Let's add Bluetooth to our toothbrush as well, so we can actually track how the product is being used by our consumer in that sense. Not only that, we want to actually generate something interesting and, and to really um, make the customer want to use uh, that product in that way uh, and, and to use the app that comes together with the toothbrush because I don't really need to, but to create that need, I think, um, going back to maybe the, the phone and creating sort of a need for, for the product in, in the market. Um, they actually give you some insight into what you're doing correctly, incorrectly. It kind of, it shares with you the data they're collecting they probably have them designed the tool, obviously, the toothbrush a lot better, but also gives you as a user, oh, you're doing the right thing when it comes to, you know, cleaning your teeth here. You're actually spending the right amount of time. You're holding the, the brush in the right way. And there's this direct feedback with it changing different, making different noises and what have you. They even went a step further to put up this, this camera capturing of you actually, you know, using this, this brush and having it attached also, you know, you get this, this appendix to attach the, to the wall so your phone can stick up next to your mirror or on your mirror, basically, while you're washing your teeth. And I think that's, that's an interesting, an interesting way to gather the data you need, um, like you said, and, and where does this, and then I wonder, like you, like you said, where does it, where does the toothbrush design end in that sense, in the sort of the industrial design, sort of coming coming there to do that um, effort, sort of, and where does the service design start, therefore, and the feedback and their interaction going back and forth there in that um, uh, coming together, I think, of both service and, and and product, physical product design in that sense. I don't think they're doing this in a very interesting way, and, and it's very hard to see that that it's not the same team, basically, different ends of the same team almost doing this function, in, in my mind, and sharing insight and, and so on. Yeah, you were saying, I was just, it may, maybe it's just one person doing the toothbrush and the <laughs> services and just like, ah, <laughs> yeah. trying it out as well. <laughs> That's, I think that's a that's a really interesting perspective, Maya, and I, and, and uh, I mean it, it it does it does certainly become even more interesting in the perspective of you know of the home that you're acting in and your you know it, it, all the things that want to be interconnected in your home. I think and that that you know 
that gives another uh, another dimension to it. I, I from my, I'm thinking of of another another example, you know, of how how perhaps this perhaps doesn't always work so well together. And um, so I like uh, I like running, uh, and uh, when doing so, I have this, uh, you know, I like many people today have these, you know, run, running watches, and this one is from from uh, from Garmin. Um, I've been using Garmin for for lots of years, and and I like their 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 device. It's a really nice device. It captures my data in a really nice way, um, and and that's all really good. But the ability to analyze this information and and see the statistics and how you know how well I'm improving in my in my uh, in my uh, personal health basically is perhaps not as good. Uh, and then moving on to the guys at Strava who've been working on especially this dimension they haven't been working with the industrial design of you know how should the sensors measure my you know oxidization of my blood for instance but they've been working on you know what is it actually i would like to find out about how i'm progressing in my in my exercise and my training and how can I, how can they present that to me in a way that makes it meaningful for me so i can actually uh, build my training schedule in a better way to optimize my training and i'm i can really see these i mean these two different perspectives and by specializing in these two different areas, you know, they've been become really good in the as a combination. It's perfect. You know, I get the, the, the data, the stats from from Strava and I get, you know, the, the or I get the information from Strava, I get the raw data from 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 Garmin. But but, you know, I guess the it would have been even better, I guess, you know, if taking a, a more, you know, customer experience perspective for from from the beginning for the, you know, what is it that I need? What are my intrinsic needs that, that I'm looking for as an as, as as a runner in order to improve my my running at the end of the day? Uh, because at the end of the day, just looking at the data as it is tells me, yeah, my pulse went up when I ran uphill. <laughs> it went down when I ran downhill, you know, doesn't help me that much. <laughs> I, I could just start myself basically. <laughs> But it, so, is, it is super interesting, exactly that. I mean, the, to see the clear separation and how, I mean, Garmin has a long tradition of, of product development and they come, I mean, as I understand it, they come from navigation as well. Like, uh, exactly. Yeah, so, so, I mean, it is, and, and same with, um, I mean, the area that I work with as well. We have a hundred year tradition uh, of building cars and and suddenly we collaborate with Google and I can drive across a bridge and I can tell the car to turn on the lights in my home. I mean, these are the kind of uh, things that you don't have to uh, uh, do everything yourself, but create ecosystems that allow for this kind of added value to to just emerge. I mean, uh, I can I can build a car. Google can build a platform, and then we have third party who can build apps. And then for me as a customer, it all fits into my ecosystem instead of uh, me having to fit into the product's ecosystem. And and I think that is uh, like. And I I wonder like do we want to have um, so if we look at the toothbrush example, it, it's so great because they are working together. You can see the clear uh, benefits of them sitting in the in the room. Perhaps they're sitting in the room next door, perhaps in the same room, but at least they are talking quite frequently. 
but then looking at uh, Garmin and Strava, they are two different organizations. Yeah, okay, Garmin has opened up so that uh, Strava can extract the data. But apart from that, nothing really is going on between them. It's a, it's a business trans- transaction. Uh, really looking at, uh, I mean, for me, working with uh, tangible products and uh, digital experiences on top or like the service layer on top having this kind of continuous dialogue with with everyone across uh, the whole organization will help us in kind of ideate on the right level but it it's still um it it becomes very difficult to to keep that kind of very manual process going because at the same time we have uh, 1,999 other people working <laughs> uh, with with whatever product uh, is most important for them. Yeah, it's. I, I think I, it is. This is touching on a really interesting point because I think you know, in in, in as of today, uh, it's actually the, the the connections between different services or products that come from different companies and the openness that that is is the opportunity that lies ahead for us you know and i and perhaps there are two really you know key key um, uh, issues or things that make that harder i think one one key issue especially in financial services but i'm pretty sure it's it's uh, ubiquitous ubiquitous through lots of industries and that's identity uh, i mean it, uh, sweden love it you know bank id <laughs> it's great we can really really easily and quite cheaply actually you know get the identity of a person but you know that's just sweden we don't have the same equivalent in, in most countries and and it becomes uh, i think a barrier so uh, you know i'd love to see in in my wish list for the future is a uh, europe at least european standard on you know a european simple way of of uh, really identifying who a person is because that would en- enable financial transactions uh, at a you know vastly different innovation speed I think that would be really cool. And I guess the other thing, you know, the other topic here is is the aspect of standards for uh, IoT devices and communication between IoT devices. You know, I uh, I think that's that's a really difficult issue and difficult topic. I, I just moved into a new house. Uh, lots of of really cool, you know, devices that connect to um, to the internet. Uh, but for every different make, I need different apps. <laughs> it's actually really horrible. Mm. And I like it how you have this very positive attitude as well toward uh, standardization and legislation, which uh, mm. actually sometimes I feel is, is almost uh, causing more complexity, especially when it comes to um, user experience designing or product designing. Um, it also extends a lot this um, product discovery process, mm. either the challenge, the lack of standards, but also the Oh, um, the legislations and, and, and complexity of, and I feel that is both, we have both increasing standardization, but also increase, increasingly complex landscapes, not only because of different um, uh, sort of IoT out there and different devices need to communicate. We also have the specialization of different companies really becoming specialized in different maybe uh, data points that they collect or, or, or services that they provide and so on. And I, I see this 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 discovery for for products going bigger and bigger. And I think my, my something I have been wondering a lot about has been this classic um, definition or or 
that we have when it comes to the cross-functional team that does product development being constituent of, yes, a number of developers, maybe some, some quality assurance, and then uh, some, some product function like a PO. And I wonder if that, that constellation, as, as we have typically uh, known it, is even uh, still relevant or will remain relevant in this ever complex landscape of, you know, uh, analyzing vendors and service providers that need to be integrated, what commercial partnership can we have with them, what, you know, exploring what could we possibly do together, isn't that also like product discovery, what hurdles do we need to overcome in terms of uh, just the physical integration, or not physical perhaps, but just the integration of, of the, that component, but also legislation like we have discussed. Uh, and the complexity of, okay, but I have a user interacting in, in the real world with a product perhaps, but also in, in the virtual space as well. And, and, you know, wrapping all that together, that even extends discovery further. So Agile is very much concerned about the development part of, of product uh, delivery in that sense. But it, I think it leaves little room, at least in the definition that we've currently have on analytics and how do you keep looking at that um, post, the delivery for me is also part of the, there's discovery in the delivery itself, right, that you're going to experiment, going to fail early in the prototypes to try and get that user experience that you were referring to, Anya, right, and making sure you have those right connections. Um, so I think, is it still relevant, the, the way the team or we think of a product organization, is it too narrow the way we think about it today? That's not even thinking of, you know, AI and modeling and that, that we need to kind of increasingly put into sort of the code that we're, we're actually uh, compiling and putting together to deliver a product or a service. Matthias, any thoughts? So, oh, sorry, um, now I, I, I get so excited. <laughs> I, 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 it was this uh, thing you were mentioning before, I mean, to really look at, I mean, if we have a kind of democratization of business models, uh, so making things available, uh, that means like creating APIs uh, for all services that we build, then the kind of, perhaps then the core team would be the kind of system integrator and the data anal analyst, uh, so that they would then kind of tweak how these kind of uh, models work together in the kind of ecosystem of business models. I think that's uh, that would have been super cool to <laughs> yeah. change it around. <clears throat> yeah, I think I, I think it's, it's I mean, I think it's a it's a quite complex question. Uh, this 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 issue. And I, I, from my, from my, from my perspective, I think that it's the thing. The thing, key thing here is we're not, we are not as people, as individuals, uh, we are not a single function. As individuals, I think we're we're much more than one role or one specialty, and uh, usually we can cover a lot more ground than we give, give ourselves room for to cover if we label ourselves with, you know, no, I'm a developer or, you know, I'm a, a requirement specialist or whatever it might be, you know. Um, and and it, when when thinking about it, you know, we have the same equipment <laughs> as humans. We have brains, we have hands, we have feet, you know, and uh, we can do uh, 
a lot of different things together. And then there comes a limit to, you know, what we can achieve with, um, you know, as as amateurs, you know, if, if I would you know, do something I'm not used to doing, you know, I'd, I'd be an amateur in, in that area. And, and that would obviously take a longer time. Um, but, you know, considering that, I think we've all been in, in these, you know, initial of initial stages of really creative teams where we're, you know, building something new and we're all discovering and venturing into areas that we've never been before because that's part of the discovery phase. And then I guess it for, for me, this, this, you know, being open for that kind of, of process where I, I do things I, I'm, not, I'm not used to doing. I haven't don't have the experience in doing. It's not my profession. It also means becoming naked for doing making mistakes as well and open for making mistakes. Uh, and I think that's that needs to be there needs to be that kind of psychological safety, especially in the initial phases. And then the pendulum swings, you know, it swings over and then the product starts, you know, becoming a product, becoming more mature. And, you know, we start, you know, seeing that we have real users and it's growing and the user base is growing and stuff is happening. You were describing it really well, Anya, before, you know, when you see the cars, you know, they're on the streets, you know, what are we going to do? And and it requires a different kind of professionalism from the organization and it requires growing. And at that point in time, perhaps you need, you know, with this huge team of, uh, of um, you know, 10 analysts just analyzing cross product data to understand, you know, what is what is going on here really, you know, th throughout the entire system. And it's it's interesting because I guess I guess the 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 trick here is is finding the right organization for the right um, uh, maturity of, of 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 product that you have. An unmature product, perhaps it's OK with a pretty unmature team in in if you know meaning unmature in perspective of um being really skilled in all the specialties that are needed for and to create the product whereas you know when you, when you move on and you have something that you see this we're really onto something here then perhaps you need to add on uh, and improve I think Matthias, I like it how you kind of we've also brought it kind of full circle to your almost your initial question here, <laughs> going going through this flow. But I, I think it it also very much depends on how competitive the market you're entering in. Are you challenging? Are you disrupting in that market, or are you entering as a, a second player sort of in the game? I think it's it's quite that I think also helps you or or, or must be a guiding principle of what specialization uh, will I need? What is important here? Um, because if you're disrupting, if there's no no one else sort of leveraging that opportunity out there on the market already, like you said, you can you can go in there. I think Pulsar was a, was a good one there. Very, very few competitors coming into that landscape. So you almost have quite a quite a blank uh, landscape of, or quite a wide uh, range of, of and space to 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 be able to experiment and, and break and like you said making sure that we're feeling safe enough to break mm. uh, to mm. break things but then you you look at other um competitors out there or you know someone coming later down the line they can't afford almost to 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 grow a little bit and 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 fail as much as maybe you had oh. The opportunity to do they have to come in sort of guns blazing exactly getting it almost quite right to be able to to achieve anything in the in the same um part almost yeah it was funny it's uh, i saw this presentation of one of our um, uh, marketing market managers and he said 
uh, 10% planning and 90% execution. <laughs> and I thought that was so uh, fantastic because, I mean, you can plan and you can plan and you can plan, but you really need to get going uh, if because it is also, again, coming back to what you were starting with saying, like, it's moving so fast. Uh, and and uh, we talk about fail culture, but learning culture, uh, like to have uh, edu- take educated uh, risks, uh, risks within a kind of uh, limited area where you don't actually risk too much. Um, and to move, to continue to move forward. Uh, I think even if you are a, a follower, you need to do that because you still need to kind of uh, have your edge somewhere, <laughs> but th- that you find your space where you, this is where we play and this is where you play. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's um, super, super interesting. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think I've I've met a lot of teams over you know over the years. Uh, you know, coming from the perspective of saying that you know we've we've stopped doing we stopped doing Scrum and started doing Kanban because no none of our of our sprint plans actually were went through all the way. So since we couldn't plan properly, then we stopped planning and we just you know started delivering. And I think that's a really interesting perspective. And I because you know as you're saying, Anya. Uh, I, I completely agree. By doing planning and by continuously, uh, we, we can actually start get learning and, and improving. So I think I think that's a, a really interesting uh, uh, dimension of of it. Uh, but uh, focus must needs to be on execution, of course. But always, I mean, uh, there's always like. Uh, <laughs> On the one side and on the other side, and I think this is like the the kind of essence of our talk. It's like, yeah, where are you? Where is the product in its maturity? Where is the organization organization in its maturity? Where is the developer or designer in its maturity? And how can we kind of find the right place and the right uh, level of of excitement mm. for all of these three? Right. Uh, and 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 that I mean that requires agility that requires a kind of uh, uh, that you are constantly looking at uh, uh, how's it going what is going on and and how can we adapt Uh, which is of course stressful because sometimes you need to just uh, sit back and relax and enjoy the process but uh, but it's also uh, an interesting time I think if if you enjoy change. (laughs) Organizing for uh, the Tomorrow's products requires organizational agility, basically. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it also, I think, uh, requires honesty as well. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Anya, use your own product, you know, almost, but have that um, confidence to also look at the organization, look at, you know, and be honest about it. Is it working? Is it not working? Is the product working in the market? Is the user happy? And being able to the maturity to actually take that in, yes, positive or negative, and, uh, and actually act on it and change course if required. Well said. Nice, I feel like that's a, a very good kind of uh, segue to to pause the conversation and, and kind of thank you all because we're reaching the hour mark. And you know what, sitting here listening, I could definitely tell that there was so much more that each and every one of you could go into so much more detail um, and just continue this conversation. But it was quite inspiring and very eye-opening to um, 
to maybe the way that that you all think about when it comes to approaching a product which for me as a, as a listener here on this on this panel was very very um, like I said insightful so yeah definitely want to give give you all a, a massive thank you so Matthias, May and Anya um, for kind of providing your insight and um, giving us that good conversation so thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> thank you all.